our um, text this morning for a sermon on Christmas or upon the Christmas emphasis of world missions and reaching the lost is found in the little epistle of Paul to the Philippians, beginning in chapter 1, verse 27. So you'll turn the New Testament to Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Philippians 1, 27. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I, am come, whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. The life of the Apostle Paul was totally dedicated to winning people to faith in Jesus Christ and to training those to win others to Christ. This gospel must be This church auditorium, somebody there in that religious environment suggested, maybe we should call a day of prayer and fasting. And somebody said, do you really think it's come to that? God is for the crisis only, for the emergencies only. And prayer is kind of a neon marked emergency exit. And the practice of the presence of God is just to undergird moments of stress. How very common, how very human, how very wrong. For God demands of us lives of dedicated worship. And the concept, whether intended or not, that says to our associates that God is just a kind of a divine emergency boy to do for us what we cannot do will never win this world to Christ. We must live lives of consistent devotion. And if our witness is consistent to the gospel, then our, our witness will be, our lives will be filled with genuine love, sincere love. I mean, when people see you, do they sense that you really love them, you really care? Aristotle said... What you seem to be speaks so loudly that it influences my response to what you say. I mean, is there sincere, genuine love for the lostness of our world? Now, the key word is sincere, I think. Fred Allen used to say that if you took all the sincerity in Hollywood, you could cram it into the, into the navel of a gnat, and you'd still have enough room for two caraway seeds and an agent's heart. I mean, the, uh, people really know the difference, don't they? Is your heart really burdened for the lost of our world? I mean, is it really? Do you have a sincere love for this world? A couple went to adopt a child. There was this little boy they were going to adopt. They told him, said, son, this is your lucky day. We want you. We're going to give you everything you've never had. We're going to give you a room of your own. We have a pony tied up just waiting for you to ride. 
we're going to give you clothes and toys. Everything's ready for you. He was totally underwhelmed and unimpressed. And they said, is there anything else that you might want? Is there anything you really want? A little boy said, I just want somebody to love me. The Bible declares that the only way God can be defined is in terms of love. God is love. And our witness will be successful only when we radiate the love of God to the people who desperately want and need that love. E. Stanley Jones, great missionary to India, tells about the time his friend was telling him that he was talking to a shoe repairman who had just lost a son and the shoe cobbler was in deep distress, downhearted and downcast. And the friend said, just remember that God loves you. And the shoe cobbler said, how do you know that? And the friend said, because I used to work for Foy Saib in Kalanpur. And nobody can work for Foy Saib without knowing God loves him. And I pray that God will help us to have that kind of an example in our witness for Him. For it was in the love that Paul saw radiating in the life of a man that reached him for Christ. When he decided that he was going to eliminate Christians from the world, he ran into a force that he could not explain. He didn't understand. He understood Phariseeism. He understood rules and regulations. He understood an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. He understood those principles. But he ran into something he never could understand. He couldn't understand the love he saw in the face of the man he had led his people to stone. And he saw it flashing in his eyes. And he heard it ringing in his voice when he prayed, Father, lay not this sin to their charge. And he must have thought to himself, this guy's a little crackers. But he couldn't get away from that love. And it haunted it and haunted him and it hounded him until on the road to Damascus it overwhelmed him. And he said later, I, the love of Christ constraineth me. I can't get away from it. I must love that Sunday school class. I must be that loving neighbor. I must be that loving worker with children. I must radiate that love of God in my life so this world can know Jesus, know God as He's really revealed. I must have that love if my witness is ever to count. Our witness must be consistent. Our witness, secondly, must be contagious. I'm told that a preacher out in the Midwest once preached a sermon on what kind of religion do you have. That was his this theme, what kind of religion do you have? He had three points. Point number one is, do you have religion? Point number two, is it the catching kind? Point number three, how many people have caught it from you? A contagious witness is a joyous witness. A little boy was asked by his friend, does your father have a den? And the little boy said, no, he just growls all over the house. If there, ever was, if there ever was an excuse, if there ever was a reason for a person to be happy, it's the reason a Christian has. Our sins have been forgiven. 
And when our sins, when God forgives our sins, He forgets them. And He invites us to forgive ourselves and to forget the past. And He takes our sins and He buries them in the sea of His forgetfulness. And He erects a sign that says, no fishing here. And that makes me happier than anything this world can offer. My sins are carried away. My witness is to be a hilarious one. An atheist, the Roman Catholic, invited a Southern Baptist missionary in South America to give a, a program, to give a message. And they gathered in this South American assembly hall with this missionary from America, Southern Baptist. And the man who was moderating the meeting said, the reason why we have come to hear your message is because you have a song in your heart and Latin Americans dearly love singing. No wonder the summons to rejoice sounds 70 times in the New Testament. Rejoice! And no wonder Tertullian said that a Christian saint is a hilarious one. The Salvation Army was invited to play in, at Hara in London. Dr. Farmer was the organist of that great concert hall. He was a very sophisticated and dignified and cultured man. And he was just appalled when the Salvation Army drummer was just pounding away on that drum. And he pleaded with a Salvationist, Sir, don't hit the drum. Don't beat the drum so loudly. And the beaming drummer smiled and said, God bless you, friend. But since I've been converted, I think I can bust the blooming drum. Joy is the outcome of the direct presence of the Lord within. Joy is, that, is the result of a sense of adequacy in Christ for everything. Joy is the outcome, the, the out result of what God is working in us in Jesus Christ. If there ever was a reason to rejoice, it's because we've been saved. Contagious witness is a joyous one. A contagious witness is a certain one. This world will never be won by question marks. It'll only be won by exclamation points, by certain witnesses, by people who are absolutely convinced that they have been saved, they've really been born again, by, who, by people who are absolutely certain that Jesus Christ indeed is the answer to man's questions and the solution to man's problem. Absolutely convinced of that. You will not win anybody to Christ until you're absolutely certain that Christ is what that man needs. And somebody expressed it like this. He said, we can no more tell what we do not know than we can come back from where we ain't been. If you had a genuine experience with Jesus Christ and are certain that He is the answer to every question you've ever had and the solution to every problem and need, then you're going to have a confident witness. And not until. The person who presents that positive witness is a person who is convinced that down deep inside, that's what that person really wants. You know, I sometimes think that, that we present the gospel with the same kind of a timidity of a, 
of an encyclopedia salesman first time out. I, told, I was told when I was in, uh, in college that you could make $1,000 a, a week, you know, just selling encyclopedias. I had never seen a thousand dollars. Boy, I wanted some of that. So I got with this group of guys and, and we went out to sell encyclopedias. First door we knocked on, some voice cried out, If you're selling it, I don't want it. If you're giving it away, slide it in under the door. You know, I knew right then it wasn't going to be as easy to make a thousand dollars a week as it looked. And so when I got out on my own and rang that doorbell, usually this would be my first, you know, introductory statement. You don't want any encyclopedias, do you? <laughs> Sorry to bother you, but I, I don't suppose you want any of these encyclopedias. Sometimes I feel like that's the kind of confidence we have when we go out, when we try to share our witness. I don't want to trouble you. You probably don't want Jesus Christ, but I feel obligated to tell you about it. A person with a confident witness is a person who is absolutely convinced that that person in the deep of his heart has an emptiness and a void that only Christ can fill. And when he hears the message, it will strike a chord of response in him that will make him respond. He's absolutely convinced. Let me give you an example. Here's a young couple who are wanting to have children and they haven't been able to have children. And one day she goes to the gynecologist for another checkup and he gives her an examination. He comes back in, sits down with her and he says, not only is it possible, not only is it going to be possible for you to have a family, but you're already, you're already expecting. You're five months pregnant. And she jumps up from there and embraces the gynecologist and she runs out of that room and calls her husband first thing, we're going to have a baby. Our prayers have been answered. A person who has that confident witness believes that all he has to do is to preach a factual message with enthusiasm and excitement. And when that message is preached, it's going to strike such a chord of need in the heart of the man. He's going to respond positively to his message. I believe that. I believe there are people watching this morning on television who have been hungry for the Lord, whose heart has yearned for Him for a lifetime. And while they're watching this morning, perhaps just dressed in their pajamas, they feel that hunger and that need that's been there since they were able to recognize it. And I believe this morning that out in this auditorium there are people who are, who are hungry to know the Lord and to walk with Him and to feel the forgiveness of their sins and the freedom from their bondage. And so without embarrassment or a shame, I hold up Jesus Christ to you. And the witness I give is this, that He's the answer to every question and the solution to every problem you ever had and will ever have. Third and last, when our Christian witness is consistent and when it is contagious, then it must be consecrated. The word means to set apart for service. It means to be holy, to be unique, to be different. And that, that word it, it, it describes a commitment of life from which we have drifted so far that it is almost foreign to us. What it means to be committed to God, consecrated. We've drifted from that realm of life so far. It's foreign. It's alien. It's a strange concept. Somebody who's, 
who wished to remain anonymous said, Christians have been subnormal for so long that if we became normal, the world would consider us abnormal. But nevertheless, the stewardship that God demands of our life is this. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. The demand that God makes upon your life is this. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's the demand God has always made upon us. It's not changed. We say we wish the whole world would know the Lord. We have these mission offerings, etc. And we say, I hope the whole world comes to know Christ. But do we really? A little boy listened to his father pray for the missionaries that God would supply their needs and for the lost people of the world and, and how they needed to hear the gospel and all of that. When his father finished praying, the little boy said, Dad, if I had your money, I'd answer that prayer. And we say we really love people in this world, but do we really? I mean, do we really? There's a way Jesus said we can check up on ourselves to see if we really do. By their fruits, he said, you shall know them. And Lloyd Ogilvy has a marvelous book called Ask Him Anything, a book on prayer. In the very first chapter of this book, he tells about a man who asked him one day, he said, Dr. Ogilvy, he's pastor of the Presbyterian Church in Hollywood, California, he said, is your church full of consecrated Christians? And Dr. Ogilvy said, well, can you be a Christian and not be consecrated or committed to God? And that just set that guy on fire. I mean, it turned him loose. He said, Dr. Ogilvy, I want to tell you that for two decades, I was the leader of my church. For two decades, I was an active member of my church, but I had never really committed my life to God. I had never really consecrated my life to Him. And he said, through a a set of circumstances, I came to the place one day where I committed my life to Jesus Christ. I sold out to God. I committed my needs to Him. I committed my possessions, my business. I committed my family to Him. I, co I, I took the hands, my hands off my life and I committed my life. I consecrated it to God. He said, I want you to know I found freedom for the first time. I found joy for the first time. I found boldness for the first time. And he said, for the first time, I began to know Jesus Christ, really know Him, Him whom I had just vaguely believed in before. Have you ever really consecrated your life to God? Have you really ever given Him your needs so that when those Moments of fear and anxiety come. There is peace because you know those things are in God's hands and in His control. Have you given your family to God so that when those moments of illness come, there is no fright or fear? God is in control. Have you given your life to God? I mean, have you consecrated yourself to Him, committed yourself to God? E. Stanley Jones, that tireless missionary India of which I spoke a moment ago, made this testimony. He said, one day I laid down at the feet of Jesus. Listen to me. One day I laid down at the feet of Jesus Christ a self of which I was ashamed. A self I could not control and could not live with. 
And to my glad amazement, God took that self and remade it and committed it, consecrated it to the kingdom work and gave it back to me a self of which I am no longer ashamed and with, with which I can live gladly. Then E. Stanley Jones said, Life can be awfully simple or life can be simply awful depending on whether or not moment by moment, day by day, you commit that life to God. This story, and then I'm through. Carl and Twyla Lee are missionaries to central Java, and they work in the capital. I would give you the name of the capital, city of central Java, but I can't pronounce it. They were missionaries in the city in the capital city, central Java, when they got there, Carl and Twyla Lee established four mission churches, four mission preaching points throughout that great city. And they established lay preachers and put them in control of that, those congregations. And they trained those lay preachers each week in homiletics and pastoral ministry and the scriptures. And one day, Carl Lee was riding his motor scooter down the city street and had an accident. And he was put in the hospital, and he was seriously injured. But while he was in the hospital, he came down with this mysterious fever, kind of a staph infection. And he had to stay there many more weeks, and they thought he would die many times. One day, while he was lying in bed, pastors of these four congregations along with some laymen came to his hospital room and they circled around his bed holding hands and they said Mr. Lee you're sick and you may die we don't know whether you're going to live or die he said that was really encouraging you know to me and he said besides if you live you probably will not get to be a missionary here any longer you'll have to go back to the states he said, by that time, I was wishing I had taught them some bedside manners and how to visit in the hospital. But he said, the spokesman of the group continued and said, we've met together in these four churches and they don't know it, but we have formed an association and we have decided, are you listening? He said, we have decided that whether you live or die, whether you go back to the States or not, it is our responsibility to win this city to Jesus. I want you to reach over there and take the hand of that person sitting beside you. Would you do that right now? Now listen to me carefully. It is our responsibility to win this city. Jesus Christ. It is not the responsibility of the pastor of any church alone. It is not the responsibility of some evangelist or some electronic preacher to win this world of Christ. It is your responsibility and it is mine.
a little boy of heavenly birth, but far from home today, came down to get his ball of the earth that sin cast away. Oh, brothers, one and all, we must join together to get him back his ball. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we pray that in the stillness and the dynamic of this very moment, you would call out witnesses who are consistent, whose witness is contagious because it's joyous and confident. Witnesses who are consecrated to go to the end of the earth, committed to pay any price, go anywhere, do anything, in order that the world might know that Jesus Christ is Lord. And God, I pray that you'll call out of us today that kind of witness to the glory of God and of His Son, Jesus. For it's in His name we pray. Now would you look this way. There are three kinds of invitation that I want to ask your response. The first is for you to come and give your life to Jesus Christ. My witness and the witness of many of us is that Jesus Christ saves from sin and forgives and makes new. And He comes into our heart, He comes into our life in the person of the Holy Spirit, the other Jesus, comes in by invitation comes in when you open up your life to Him, your will to Him, your desire to Him. And you say, Jesus Christ, I trust You and You only. I invite You to be my Savior and I make my commitment of faith to You and You only. Now maybe you've joined a church, you've been baptized, but you've never really committed your heart and life to Christ. I want you to come this morning and do that. The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth, the word by which you must be saved. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The second invitation is for the Christian people of this congregation to unite together in the church. Come and place your life in the church. That's the way God has chosen to reach this world is through the group of people that are joined together in the, in the local church. Would you come and place your life with us here? A statement, a promise of letter. You just come and say, I want to join this church and I'll tell you how to do it. Or maybe you just need to come this morning to say, I need to be a better witness. My witness is not joyous or consistent or contagious or confident. And I want to come to rededicate myself to Christ or to say, I want to be a missionary wherever that responsibility would take me to the end of the earth. Let's do it right on the first word of the first stanza. That's the best time. Let's do it while we stand the choir sings.